This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by full service realtor Cindy Carava. Visit cindycarava.com for all of your real estate needs. On this episode, we're going to jump right into the week four NFL slate. We'll go through each of the matchups and then we'll pick out which ones are our best bets. We're trying to improve on that very good start to the season 14 and six in the NFL against the spread. And an interview with Andrew Champagne. We're going to talk some horse racing from Belmont Park over the weekend. The fields are not great. We're not going to sugarcoat it, folks, but these are Breeders' Cup prep races, so it'll be important to keep an eye on these horses uh, as they move forward and hopefully get these last prep races under their belt heading to the Breeders' Cup in just a month. Close things out with uh, some thoughts on the races at Santa Anita and the races at Churchill Downs. So sit back, Enjoy and make sure to subscribe all over the place so you get every episode of That's What G Said podcast. September 27th, 2019. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Let's get right into the NFL for week four. Uh, We have bye weeks. First slate of the bye weeks coming up. And so we will have two, two teams on the bye. We had a Thursday night game already. So 14 games to talk about on Thursday night. Eagles beat the Packers 34-27. We'll do a full recap of that game next week when we're able to uh, do the rewatches. I'm never, never going to try to BS any of you, right? I'm not going to tell you stuff about something unless I've able, been able to sit down, dissect it, rewatch it, analyze it, see what happened. Then then I'll, I'll share the facts and, and my opinions on, on what I thought. Let's get right into the first game. Panthers at the Texans. This game... It's been steady around four, the the betting line here. Houston is at home. Houston is a four-point favorite. And Carolina is coming off the big week with Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen was so impressive in his start taking over for Cam Newton last week. 19 for 26, 261 yards and four touchdowns. And I think that will likely inflate this price a little bit. You can find Houston out there at, at minus three and a half. And, and go grab that somewhere I think This will end up being one of my plays Because I just I feel like In a couple games this week You're going to get Quarterbacks who Played really well last week And I believe their lines are going to be a little Inflated because of that And Carolina is one of them And if Kyle Allen proves me wrong And they win this game Or they keep this game closer We'll move on and we'll adjust how uh, we analyze the Panthers moving forward. But right now, just off that last week, this is too much. Uh, excuse me, this is, Carolina. This is too much for Carolina. They're getting a little too much love. I think this game should be like Houston minus six, minus seven. 
So go get Houston minus the three and the half. And that's going to be one of my play first plays of the week. Houston minus three and a half. And you'll notice I've played many, a whole ton of teams laying the points. Generally, I'm on the underdog side. But I just feel like they're going to be a little bit overinflated off of that last week. So the Texans... Minus the three and a half. Go find that three and a half somewhere. Game two. The Browns at the Ravens. This game opened up at minus three and a half Ravens. And is now up to minus seven. And I think right there that's why you have to go to the side of Cleveland. Just on the the movement of the line alone. And then when you really start to dissect the, the games and these two teams in particular. So any trends that you look at. With these Baltimore Cleveland games, they're going to be so heavily favoring Baltimore because let's be honest, Cleveland's been horrible, what, the last decade, 15 years? But this is a different Cleveland team. Even if they're, even if you think that this team is overhyped and they're not going to be a playoff team or they're not going to, you know, win the division, that's fine. They're still a better Cleveland team than the doormat Cleveland teams that these trends have all the stats for. So I think this this is a game where you just can't look at the trends. There's going to be another game coming up where we talk about where it's really hard to look at the trends because this just is a different Cleveland team. Now the only game between these two that I will look at was the game when they played each other last year at the end of the season. Because that was the game that Lamar was starting, Baker was starting. You had at least a bulk of players on both teams where you can kind of use it as a gauge. But I don't even want to use that. That game was 26-24, and they kept and Cleveland kept it close. And remember, Baltimore needed to win that game in order to get in the playoffs. Something I will look at is that Baltimore is 2-8 against the spread in their last 10 games as a uh, favorite. And... I like Baltimore. I played their season over. I think they're a good team. But in this spot, their line is a little overinflated because people see the game last week against Kansas City. They Baltimore was able to keep it close, but they were never really going to win that game. And there were a couple big, big plays that Lamar Jackson got very, very lucky on. They He just hucked the ball up. Very easily could have been an interception. And a couple times they went for big plays, one that was down right on the one, another for a big first down. He did not play very well. He didn't throw the ball very well down the field. I think this should be like, probably should be where it opened. This game opened, you know, around three, I think early. And then a couple days ago, it was about five. So that's where it should be, five. I feel like you get an extra few points here with with Cleveland. And people are, are really low on down on Cleveland right now because they just saw Cleveland on Sunday night against the Rams and they that fourth and nine play call they look like they're really poorly coached they're more penalties they're tied for the league lead in penalties so after everybody you know you know honest when you look at that game Cleveland's defense played very very well offensively they didn't play well they didn't really move the ball and they still had a chance to tie the game late. Cleveland plus seven. I like this one a lot. I don't know if Cleveland can win this game, but I wouldn't I wouldn't talk you off putting a few bucks on the money line. I see like plus 265. 
Again, you look you look at these. Baltimore's nineteen and three in their last twenty two games against Cleveland. They're ten and one straight up in their last eleven games at home against Cleveland. But we're going with Cleveland. You're getting a couple extra points. I've got a feeling that Cleveland's going to come out and look a lot, just a lot better this week. Offensively, I feel feel like they'll make some changes. Hopefully, it was I don't want to say rock bottom, but just an awakening when you're on national TV and everybody's talking all week about how poor your coaching is. You have to make some adjustments. I'm expecting that with Cleveland. Their defense played really well. Hey, I mean, they kept it real close with the Rams. The Rams were in the Super Bowl last year, and they're three and zero. Everyone was acting like. The Browns just got beat up by a bad team. They didn't. Let's go with the Browns as our second play here. Next game, Redskins-Giants. This is another game where I might feel stupid for playing and making this game uh, one of my plays. But you know what? Very similar to what happened in, in, in the Carolina game. Everybody saw Danny Dimes. How how good did he look, Right? For the Giants, Daniel Jones, 23 for 36, 336 yards, two touchdowns passing, four carries, 28 yards, two touchdowns rushing. He brought the Giants back from down 18 at the half. Stat that showed it was the first time the Giants came back from that big of a deficit in I think over 70 years. And Daniel Jones was under pressure 47% of his dropbacks That was the highest in week 3 He completed 80% of passes when pressured 233 yards 2 touchdowns and a perfect passer rating There have been 1,674 Instances Over the last 15 years And no quarterback had a perfect passer rating In that same situation This was from uh, Pro Football Focus And what are we going to do? We're going to play against Daniel Dimes Danny Dimes We're going to play against The Giants And we're playing the Redskins So look at this The Giants look really good Big comeback But should they have won that game? No Tampa blew that game Missed the field goal late Really poor coaching To back themselves up And if The Giants don't win that game Let's say they lose. Is this game minus three? Are they a th- are they a full three point favorite at home against Washington? And if Washington doesn't look so bad and Keenum look so bad against a really good Bears defense on Monday night, this game should probably be be at least a point lower. Two, it's plus three. We're gonna take Washington plus the three. Now Keenum was banged up earlier in the week, but he did come back and practice. There are talks about maybe Haskins getting into the mix. Washington didn't look that bad through the first two weeks. They really didn't. They looked teams that are not that great will look really bad against very good defenses like the Bears. And that's what happened last week. It was and you know what? Washington started to move the ball. That was really Keenum. And I just he is not consistently that bad of a quarterback. We'll go Washington plus the three at the Giants. Okay, Chargers, Dolphins, no real play in this game, but this line is moving. The Chargers are are, uh, 15-point favorites now. It started at 16.5. It's now down to like 15. 
Money's coming in on the Dolphins. I would lean the Dolphins in here, but this is no play for me. The Chargers have to go on the road. They have not played bad. They've just made some mistakes. It's just been very typical Chargers and very Chargers-esque. They should have won. They should... They could be 0-3, but they really should be 3-0. They're up 17-7 at the half last week. They had a chance early on. A touchdown got nullified by holding. They had a drive with a couple penalties, but not, not a strong opinion. No play for me, but I lean... Dolphins, if you were looking for a side to play, I would lean I'd lean the Dolphins in here. Raiders at Colts. The Colts are going to be my survivor pick for the week. And a lot of it has to do with the schedule of the Raiders that they're in the middle of. There are two teams right now who just have brutal, brutal stretches coming up in their schedule. So the Raiders... They opened up with two games to start the season at home. Then they played just this last weekend at Minnesota. This week, they go at Indianapolis. Then they play the Bears in London. It's considered a home game, but they have to go to London. So at Minnesota, at Indy, at London. Bye. When they come off the bye, they go at Green Bay and at Houston. The Raiders left, their last home game was on September the 15th, and they don't actually have another home game until Sunday, November the 3rd. So that's a stretch of five actual games that they're not playing at home, which is brutal. Brutal. They're a young team. They got beat up a little bit last week by Minnesota, and now they got to go play an indie team that's been playing really well. I would lean Indy at anything under seven. I'm not going to make this one of my plays, but uh, I'd lean Colts at minus the six and a half. And uh, as I said, this is my survivor uh, survivor pick. I really like uh, how Jacoby Brissett has moved the ball. The Colts are fourth in the league in third down conversion, and when you watch their games, you can tell every time they need a big play, they get it. Brissett makes a big play. He can scramble a little bit. He finds Hilton. He'll find Mack. He'll find uh, one of the tight ends between Ebron or Doyle. And they as mentioned that Chargers game with the Colts could have gone either way. The Colts had the kicking issues that week. Vinatieri cleaned up his kicking issues uh, this this past weekend, even though the first one doinked off the, the side and went in. So this line is Colts minus six and a half. I would lean that way, but won't be making it one of my plays. Chiefs at the Lions. The Lions are 2-0-1 now. And if you look at some of the NFL analytic websites, one of them, pro fo- uh, football, uh, football Outsiders, that has DVOA, where they rank teams um, earlier in the season, what their projected DVOA is. And if you looked at all the projections, nothing really would have jumped out to you. The only thing that seemed a little bit weird was they had the Lions winning the division in a tight division. And hey, the Lions have gotten out to a great start this year. They won a couple games that they probably shouldn't have won, right? They beat the Chargers. They beat the Eagles. 
that tie. I wonder if that tie is going to come in and, and hurt them at any point in the opening game to Arizona. So you can find Detroit in this game up to plus seven. And I would lean plus the seven at home. I'm, I won't make this one of my plays. I just I can't play any against the Chiefs right now. They're just they're scary. They're so scary. What what they can do, and and I was reading into it. Mahomes isn't even been as good and as accurate and as good against pressure as he was last year, which means they probably still have room to improve. And they've had some injuries. He's been putting in next up bride receiver, next up running back. Number one wide receiver got hurt. They're starting running back to begin the year. Currently hurt. Lean Detroit, but not one of my uh, not one of my plays. Patriots at the Bills. I really like the Bills in, in this spot uh, quite a bit. Now, this is going to be very similar to the, the Browns-Ravens game. Any trend that you look at, it's going to just lean so heavily in the Patriots because the Patriots have beaten up on the Bills, right? The Bills are the little brother. The Patriots just crush them each and every year. But do you, this Bills team is much better, just like the Browns. Even if this Bills team doesn't make the playoffs, even if they're not a 10-win team, they're not a doormat team. This Bills team is a top-five defense, and they have a quarterback who's on the improve. He's very inconsistent. He can make a, a great play and then the next play just do something really stupid. But Josh Allen and the Bills, I think, are going to be ready for this one. That Bills Mafia is going to be rocking in this game. And the Patriots, they're coming off games against the Dolphins and the Jets. And there's one trend I'm going to keep an eye on and maybe get on top of it before it becomes a trend. I'm going to play I'm going to play against teams the week after they play Miami. Now, last week New England did not cover against the Jets. Now, you watch the game, it was unlucky. The defensive scores there is a reason why New England didn't cover defense and special teams for the Jets, but they still didn't cover. Week 1 Baltimore played Miami, beat them up, and then in week two, Baltimore didn't cover against Arizona. My reasoning for with this is that you play Miami, they're bad. You kind of beat them up, you get a full sense of what the NFL game is like, and then the next week you're just not quite prepared for a team that's much better. We'll see this trend, and, and so I'm going to play against uh, the Cowboys a little later on too with that same... Same thinking this week. The Bills have allowed less than 400 total yards in 15 straight games. That's the longest streak in the NFL. Last week, they got up 14-0 against Cincinnati. I think they are looking ahead to this game, right? This is the biggest game of the year for the Bills, getting the Patriots at home. They're 3-0. and They got a chance to go to 4-0 and with a divisional win against the Pats. Gordon got banged up a little bit last week. Julian Edelman got banged up a little bit last week. The Bills have a really good secondary. The wide receivers might struggle to make big plays against this Bills defense. And the Patriots. While, you know, everybody's talked about how good they looked, 
I haven't really been as impressed. They've been a little bit a little bit sloppy against the bad teams. Even last week, for example, they gave up a couple scores late. Backup quarterback with a pick six. They muffed a punt. Goskowski's missed three extra points and a field goal in four games. You play in tight games where you need a field goal, you need extra points. You can't miss one of those. They haven't been really disciplined, and maybe they haven't needed to. And and you know they've been playing weaker opponents, and they've crushed them all. I think there's going to be a tight game. I like the Bills. I think the Bills can win this game. You can find the Bills like plus 285 money line. I'm not going to make that a play. I'm going to make the Bills a play. Though plus the seven. Look around. You you might be able to find seven and a half places. So look for that seven and a half on the Bills, which is great. And I, I actually find it at two different places that I'm going to play uh, right now. Bills plus seven and a half. Titans at Falcons, a couple of one and two teams. And the Falcons are very, very penalized. And their biggest issue, and, and the reason why I would lean towards Atlanta in here, and I and I like Atlanta just more as a team the rest of the year to improve, is because I think the biggest issues with Atlanta, and this is very similar to the Browns too, when your issues are yourself. It's not really a talent issue as much with Atlanta. Yeah, they don't have a great offensive line. They have some holes on defense, but they're good enough on paper to make the playoffs. For them, it's about Matt Ryan not making dumb throws like he has to start this year. And when they're good, Matt Ryan's very good. If Matt Ryan's bad, they're going to struggle. They have to run the ball a little bit better. Freeman ran the ball a little better last week. And they really have to clean up the penalties. They were tied for the league lead on penalties. They brought in a official crew, uh, an, an officials crew to practice this week to hopefully clean that up. I like that. I like the fact that the team is addressing their issues immediately. They're trying not to get too far behind. I think Atlanta wins this game pretty easily. I think we probably see Atlanta score 30 points or so in here. Reason why I'm not making it a play is because I have no feel ever for Tennessee. As soon as I feel like I know this Tennessee team over the last few years, then they come in, they'll win this game by two scores, or they'll have a game where they beat up the Patriots, or you know they'll have a primetime game where they just crush someone on the road. And so I never, I never know what to do with Tennessee. I would lean Atlanta, I'd tell you Atlanta, but it's not going to be one of my plays in here. Next game is... Bucks at the Rams and the Rams are 3 and 0 and as a fan I love it because they haven't played well and they're 3 and 0. They are heavily favored in this game. And a lot of people saw the Rams beat the Browns on Sunday night football. A lot of people saw the Bucks lose to the Giants in that comeback last week. You can this game is nine, nine and a half. You could find both. I would lean Tampa. I, I think the Rams win this game. But I really haven't been overly impressed with Goff. We've seen that Gurley can't run the ball like he used to. The Rams defense has been very, very good though. Tampa can score. Might be some garbage time. I could just see this game being like the Rams up, you know. F- 14, 10, and then Tampa with the late garbage time score. So I'm going to stay away from this game. No play. 
in the uh, the Rams Bucks game. But when we're talking about schedules, and we just mentioned earlier the Raiders schedule, Tampa's got a goofy schedule also coming up. And reportedly, I heard I was listening to uh, their podcast, the Pick Six podcast. Pete Prisco had said this that the league had mentioned that they screwed up. When they were looking at the schedule, they had kind of just forgotten that the Carolina game is in London. So listen to this for Tampa. They play in Los Angeles this week against the Rams. Then they go and play at New Orleans. Then they go to London. It's a quote-unquote home game for Tampa, but they play Carolina in London. Then they have their bye week. But when they come back, they go at Tennessee, at Seattle. So that is just like the Raiders with five consecutive games on the road. There's a bye in the middle of them. But at Ella, at the Rams, at the Saints, at London against Carolina, at Tennessee, at Seattle. It's a brutal stretch for Tampa. So uh, you're listening to this. I know you like football. You probably like Play a few bucks on the football games Here's a different way for you to, to gamble Go check it out right now I play this myself I promise it's a lot of fun It's called Thrive Fantasy Go to thrivefantasy.com Or download the Thrive Fantasy app Now, yes, I'm, I'm shilling something here But the reason why I'm doing it Is because I can give you something back Right now, just go try it out Sign up Use the promo code G-I-N-O And deposit 10 bucks When you do that You'll get a $10 bonus right back. You'll have 20 bucks in your account, and then you can try it out and see if you like it. It's DFS for prop bets. So what you have to do is you have to select 10 of the 20 prop wagers, and if you go over or under on the prop or which side of the prop, it will have a point value tied to it. So will Tom Brady throw for over or under 250 yards? Over will get you a certain amount of points. Under will get you a certain amount of points. You pick your 10. You pick a couple in case of emergency. And then your lineup is set. And you can play in multiple contests head-to-head. It's not just football. All different sports. It's a whole lot of fun. You can get involved for just a few bucks. Or you can play for hundreds if you'd like. And it's very similar to DraftKings and FanDuel. And all of the DFS sites that you look at. But this one, you build your lineup around Prop bets, not a salary cap Where you're picking individual players So if you're someone who bets on props You will succeed quite a bit At this, it's a lot of fun it Just gives you a little more action on Sundays Or Thursdays or Monday nights Whenever the games are or if you, you know, Playing baseball or basketball season coming up So give it a look, make sure to use that promo code Though if you want to get the, the bonus Promo code G-I-N-O It'll get you $10 bonus on any deposit Over 10 bucks. Seahawks the Cardinals Seattle has not looked good I, I, I'm, This game scares me quite a bit It's a total stay away game for me Seattle's 2-1 and one, And they could have lost to the Bengals week 1 Could have lost to Pitt Week 2 I don't like the way Arizona played late last week I just don't think they're a very well coached football team But I will say Kyler Murray Looks better already than I ever thought he was going to be He's been very competitive You can get the Cardinals at home plus five and a half That's the way I would lean But it won't be one of my plays But if you're looking to play this game Or throw it in some way I would I would lean to the Cardinals At home Vikings at the Bears This is a big game Early in the season For two teams that We know have excellent defenses But they have horrendous offenses so far 
Now, maybe Chicago got right last week. Trubisky looked much better. Cousins, I just, he's not look good. But the Vikings and Dalvin Cook are running the ball really, really well. Madison running the ball well. Dalvin Cook looks like the best running back in football right now. This one's actually down to two now. Bears minus the two. Minnesota plus the two. Yeah, stay away from me. I would lean just home team in here. But both teams' defenses could make the opposing quarterback look really, really bad in here. So this is a no play for me. No real strong opinion in this one. Jags at the Broncos. The Broncos are 0-3 for the first time since 1999. And the Broncos are the only team in the last 50 years not to have a sack or a takeaway through three games. That is unbelievable. You know, I love Minshew Mania. I'm a Gardner guy. This just feels like it's right on. I, I would I would lean Jags. I like Jacksonville at three and a half. If you can find that three and a half somewhere, I would lean that way. If you're if you're only getting it at three, it's just a no play for me. Denver's gotta come out and win this game. And you know what? Denver moved the ball really, really well last week. They just shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they had Unbelievably long drives They had more First downs than Green Bay They were better on third down 8 of 15 than Green Bay They had 73 total plays to Green Bay's 52 They had 35 minutes and 34 seconds In time of possession to Green Bay's 24-26 And Denver only had 3 penalties The problem is They had a couple turnovers that were big turnovers Just like the turnovers against Denver Flacco in the red zone Flacco making key decisions He just cannot turn the ball over Lean Jags If you get the three and a half No play though um, This this would be an interesting game for me Because it could be The Jags could get right back to two and two with this win Cowboys at the Saints Now I think you really gotta shop around And look as best you can To try to get the three somewhere it's New Orleans. It's Dallas minus two and a half, but there are minus threes out there, and I'm on the side of the Saints in here, so I'll take the Saints plus three at home. Now, the reason why I'm not going to play against the Saints with a new quarterback who won last week, like I will play against Carolina and I will play against the Giants, is because Teddy really didn't play that well last week. This was more of a defense stepping up for the Saints. I think they're going to run the ball. I think it's going to be heavy Camara like we saw. They're going to look for for Thomas at big moments. And I think it's going to be a different offense where Teddy just does hopefully doesn't have to make a whole lot of mistakes. And Dallas is coming off that game against Miami where they did not play very well, uh, especially early. I think they might come up, they might be a little flat coming off of this. This is by far the toughest team Dallas has had to face, you know, in week four, four weeks into the season. Dallas can absolutely win this game It's not a, I don't think Dallas is good It's just I think this is A game that should probably be a pick I don't think Dallas should be a full three point favorite Against New Orleans on the road So this will be On that 2-0 and trend I've talked about Teams After they play Miami Will go against them Against the team the week after they play Miami so if you went against 
Baltimore in week two after they played Miami, you covered the spread. Arizona. If you went against the Patriots in week three, week after they play Miami, you cover the spread with the Jets. Now we're going to use that same angle here with the Saints. That's the Sunday night football game. The Monday night football game is an ugly, ugly game, but it is a game that we can bet. And it is a game where you have two teams looking for their first victory, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, both 0 and 3. And I'm going to go Cincinnati in here plus the three and a half. They played miserable at home against the 49ers, the Bengals. No, no beating around that bush. But in week one, Cincinnati played very good on the road against Seattle. And in week two, Cincinnati played very good on the road against Buffalo. In week three, they played very good on the road against Buffalo. Cincinnati had that had the lead last week. They were bad early, but they came back. The offense started moving, and they took the lead in the fourth quarter. I'm just looking at this game thinking, Pittsburgh defense hasn't been great, and will Pittsburgh be able to score with Cincinnati? Last week, Pittsburgh faced a team, and they forced five turnovers. Since 2016, teams that have forced five turnovers are 28-1-1. You know who the team that lost is? The Pittsburgh Steelers. They're the first team now in four seasons to lose a game when they forced five turnovers. That Pittsburgh game was a tough game to watch. It was awful. They can Every time... San Francisco was moving the ball. It was a fumble. And you know what? It was not Jimmy G's fault at all. I, initially, I was looking, I was a little hard on Jimmy G, and I watched every snap, and that, that none of those turnovers were Jimmy G's fault. Interception off the receiver's hand. Interception bobble by a receiver. Fumble. There should have been six turnovers. Mostert fumbled the ball again, and then he recovered it, and they lost like 19 yards on that play. And Pittsburgh still couldn't win that game. They covered. I cannot lay three and a half with Pittsburgh. You think three and a half, Pittsburgh should be a three and a half point favorite over anybody right now with what we've seen? I don't. I was giving Rudolph a shot last week. I mean, I played Pittsburgh. They covered. We're lucky they covered. But he was bad. He was awful. They did not throw the ball downfield at all. You know, Teddy wasn't much better than him. But the reason why I give Teddy and the Saints a little bit more of a nod This week is that that we've seen it from Teddy before at least He's been a proven capable starting quarterback in this league We're going the Bengals here Plus the three and a half That's your Monday night football game So Plays for the week Houston Minus three and a half At home against the Panthers The Browns Plus the seven at the Ravens. The Bills plus the seven and a half. Go find seven and a half. It's out there. At home against the Patriots. Washington at the Giants plus the three. New Orleans plus the three at home against Dallas. And Cincinnati plus the three and a half at Pittsburgh. So one more time, we have six plays for you this week. Buffalo, plus seven and a half against the Patriots. Cleveland, plus seven at the Ravens. New Orleans, plus three versus Dallas. Houston, minus three and a half 
against the Panthers, Washington plus three at the Giants, and Cincy plus three and a half at Pitt. There are six plays for you this week. Currently 14 and six against the spread in the NFL. Hopefully you all have been playing along. And hey, always uh every week, anytime I have posts. Send me in your plays. I'll, I'll share them with everyone. Uh, let us know who you like, why you like them. I, I always want to know who, but I want to know why. Whether it's a uh, any game you're betting, if you're playing races, anytime you have a pick on something, I want a little bit of analysis too. Give me a give me a little bit of your reasoning. Okay, let's let's get into an interview. Very happy, very lucky to have my good friend Andrew Champagne join us. To talk some Belmont Park Saturday. Belmont Park has a couple graded stakes races. It is an ugly card, but we're going to. I don't want to say ugly. There are some good horses running, but it's just unbelievably small fields for big races. We've seen this now. Uh, I mean, I've been dealing with that in Southern California, watching Santa Anita for a while, but this week it's about Belmont and their, and their unfortunate small fields. So let's talk with Andrew and we'll hit Belmont with him. After the interview with Andrew, we'll finish up with some Santa Anita and some Churchill. So, hope you enjoy interview with Andrew Champagne. Very happy to have one of my good friends joining us to talk a little horse racing today. You can find him online on Twitter at Andrew Champagne. His website, andrewchampagne.com. That's the that's the the command center. That's the good place. Anything that's happening on that, anything that's not going on in Andrew's mind, you're going to get there. On AndrewChampagne.com And as I bring him in I think it was another good year for you With the uh, the pink sheet out at Saratoga Huh Andrew? Yeah it was a lot of fun I actually beat Liam Durbin by one winner To claim nice. the title in the pink sheet once again It came down to the hopeful actually He had a chance to tie me And his horse I believe uh, Ran second in that race Behind a horse that neither of us had We both had Greenlight Go who scratched And we scratched into different horses So there was a little bit of tension there But uh, as it turned out I wound up prevailing by one winner And that's always a lot of fun I really enjoyed doing that Really grateful that the Saratogian and the pink sheet uh, Had me back Every summer and God willing I'll be back there again next year Now before we get into the Belmont Car this weekend we're going to talk about some of the big races At Belmont on Saturday the 28th What's going on with you what's new What uh, what have you been working on what are you up to well, I'm still doing some stuff with uh, the Daily Racing Forum. I host a couple of videos there every week that you can find on their video platforms, both on their website and on the official YouTube channel. I've also been doing a lot of writing for a couple of other different properties. I just got hired on over at Odds Checker to take a look at a couple of two-year-old races cool. each week, and that's a lot of fun. I was actually able to give out the 7-1 to one winner of the Pocahontas there. That's probably where I'm, you know what I'm most proud of to this point. And I've also been doing some writing for horse racing nation. I did a lot of stuff with pick five tickets during the Saratoga meet. Hopefully something will be starting back up again there soon. Fingers, toes and eyes all across there. And I'm still writing for my website, andrewchampagne.com. In the midst of all of this, uh, my day job is now with life chiropractic college, West chiropractic school up here in the Bay area. I'm doing a lot of social and digital media stuff for them. And it's uh, it's stuff that I genuinely enjoy doing. So I'm keeping myself pretty busy and there might be some more stuff in the works going Going forward, so stay tuned. And there's stuff that you, it's stuff that you're very good at. So we love seeing that that content. We love uh, following along with you. Uh, unfortunately, from a betting perspective, we don't have a whole lot this weekend at Belmont Park. The fields are small, and we're finding out that they're going to be even smaller than they look on paper. But I guess the silver lining with this is this isn't just 
a weekend where we're looking at it going, ah, oh, there's small fields. This is a Breeders' Cup prep weekend. So even if you're someone that you're looking at these races and you're like, I can't figure this this out from a betting perspective, what am I going to do? Is there any value? We at least have to pay attention and see how these horses are getting their final prep race and how they're they're finishing their preparation up before the Breeders' Cup in just a month. No, absolutely. It's a case where some of the top horses in training are going to be in action this weekend, both at Belmont and out at Santa Anita. And some of these fields, they are light on quantity, but the quality is there. You look at the Vosburg, it's probably only going to be a field of four. Yeah, let's start got there. Imperial Hint there. And Imperial Hint may very well be the best sprinter in the country right now, at least Actively, We don't really know if Roy H is going to be making a title defense in the Breeders' Cup sprint yet. If so, he'd be going for three in a row and would obviously merit respect. But right now, it's tough to go against Imperial Hinn as the mm-hmm. top sprinter in the country. Maybe Matoli, but who knows if they're going to cut him back to six furlongs or go a mile where he won the Met Mile. So there's still some ambiguity over there. But Imperial Hinn is going to be a very short price in the grade one Vosburg. Having said that, Before scratches, I really thought there was a chance at some value in this race because Forenzi Fire loves Belmont Park. Anywhere else, he's a decent horse. Belmont Park seems to move him up a good Mm -hmm. five or six lengths, and he gets a cushy outside draw, and I was really hoping we were going to get the five to two morning line. Unfortunately, that seems very unlikely with the defections of Promises Fulfilled and Call Paul. It's more likely he's going to be seven to five or eight to five, but having said that, maybe there's still some value in doubles and pick threes and pick fours if you want to take a stand against Imperial Hint, who will almost certainly be odds on. Yeah. That's the key is that now with no promises to fulfill with no call Paul You just looks like he might just end up on the lead in here uh, Just kind of by default Uh, uh, I don't think anybody's really just as quick as him Maybe they end up like sending brown buckeye and he just sits right behind that one But yeah I I agree with you if you're looking for the other horse it's frenzy fire He's been a uh, a a uh, fantasy jockey club stable horse of mine in the last couple of years, so I'm always I'm always rooting for Frenzy Pyre to pick up some points there. But I just don't see I would have I would have given him or even promises fulfilled. Like you could have you could have seen ways where they they win the race, and you could still see races where Frenzy Fire wins, as you mentioned. But with promises fulfilled in there, it just felt like it was going to be the complexion of the race would have been a little bit different. It would have it, Imperial Hint might have had to work a little bit harder at least to to maybe keep up with some speed, and now it looks like he might just. Get a, a pretty easy trip in here um, We move from one very heavy favorite Let's go to race number 8 at Belmont Park Which is the Bell Dame To another very very heavy favorite And I think I heard uh, um, Mott The trainer of Elate say something like Hey you know what we don't need to face Midnight Bisu again Right now before the <laughs> before the Breeders' Cup And maybe they don't even Face Midnight Bisu in the Breeders' Cup Maybe Elate goes to the Classic But she has been just incredible this year She really has Last year she had some issues with you know Maybe she didn't really want to go this far She was more of like a, a mile, mile and 16th And that's not been the case this year at all She's just really matured and she's just She's become an excellent animal She's one of the best in training as you mentioned that we'll see this weekend If Midnight Bisu wins out, there's a case to be made that she's the horse of the year. Mm -hmm. And she goes in the Bell Dame against a field that will be shortened by at least one scratch. It looks like Vexatious is going to await the spinster at Keeneland. And if that happens, we're down to a field of five. I don't see any beating Midnight Bisu in this spot. I do still think she is better at one turn than Mm -hmm. two turns. And this Belmont Park configuration, mile and an eighth, 
is one turn. And I think Midnight Bisu is going to be almost impossible to beat. Wildcat has some back races that are okay, but Midnight Bisu beat her by 10 lengths in the personal ensign. And Wildcat, I think, may be tailing off a little bit as a five-year-old. Midnight Bisu to me is a single in any multi-race exotics wagers, and I don't think there's any use in overthinking that. I think you single the heavy favorite and move on. Yeah, and from the way that we've discussed these two races, I think we both feel like even with the scratches in in the Vosburg, I'd still take a shot with Frenzy Fire there more than I'd take a shot with anybody against Midnight Bisu. I think if one of those two were to get upset, I would still think it would be in the Vosburg versus Bisu. She just looks so good right now. I completely agree. There are scenarios in which Frenzy Fire could run Mm -hmm. something akin to his career best race and win. I think Midnight Bisu would have to regress and regress significantly in yep. order to lose this race. Yeah. Now, from a from a betting standpoint, we actually get a decent one in race number nine. The the Pilgrim is not a bad betting race, and this race is is kind of fun because you can. What's what's good about these races with the young horses with the two year olds is you you can take a, a little stab sometimes we see a lot of improvement from one start to, to the next or from two starts to the third so in this race at least we have some opportunities here to get a little bit of value who jumps out to you in the pilgrim i sincerely hope the morning line is right in this race because i do not like the 5 to 2 morning line favorite structure i remember that debut race at saratoga and structure had a picture perfect trip stalking very slow fractions and that race did not come back well in terms of either a time or a buyer speed figure. He earned just a 60 buyer number mm-hmm. there. Yes, he did sell for $850,000, but I'm going to try to beat that one here. My top pick is actually number six, Our Country. Yep. Our Country had a race two back that I thought was one of the better races run by a two-year-old this meet at Saratoga. He came home very, very quickly in the stretch that day. Certainly seemed like there was a lot more in the tank. He came back in the grade three with anticipation, and he just never seemed comfortable after a bad start. Maybe he bounced a little bit. Maybe it was just a matter of a two-year-old not necessarily having the maturity to handle that kind of a rough beginning. But he's four to one on the morning line, and that hits me as a gigantic overlay. I wouldn't be surprised if our country is favored. I certainly hope he is not anywhere close to four to one, and he would be a play that I would make with some confidence. The horse that I think poses the greatest opposition to our country is number two, No Word, who goes out for Todd Pletcher. Earned a 77 buyer number last time out at Saratoga, and that race came back very, very quickly, going a mile and a 16th and 140 and four. I think No Word has the potential to be a good one as well. But for me, it's 6-2 trying to beat Structor. Yeah, I think our country is the one to beat. For me, I'm going to mention one other horse. I think you 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 have the right to, and I am completely with you in the against Structor. So I think we both just circled him right into the winner circle right there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually think Famished is a little bit interesting, trying the grass for the first time, mainly just because I don't know if anyone in this field really impressed me that much from a oh this is going to be a great turf horse, and I think Famished might. Be maybe just the most talented horse in this field I actually thought his debut was pretty good When he started moving late And then last time out he kind of grinded it around And he's raced uh, He's worked on the grass a couple times since So I think Famished if you're you know playing the late exotics And you're you're doing what Andrew and I are doing Because if you are playing the late exotics You can't You, you probably can't play structure in this race 
Because you're probably going to be keyed into Midnight Bisu in another in the other race prior, and then if you're playing the Jockey Club, you know there are are four horses where you could go to, but I don't think any of them are going to really offer you even a ton of value. So one of these races, you got to have to take a chance. You can't just be going chalk, 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 chalk all the way through. And this one looks like the right race to do that. So um, yeah, famished for me, and I think I think you're right on with our country being the horse to beat, and then also. Uh, the other uh, pleasure, no word down on the inside Was impressive in the debut I like where you're coming from as far as a ticket Structure standpoint, and Famished wouldn't Surprise me, something to note here is that John Kimmel has a couple of Two-year-olds this year that ran well At Saratoga, he's got a stakes winner He also had a horse that broke the maiden over there And then he's got Famished uh, Famished, the turf pedigree doesn't Jump off the page That's a massive. A, yeah. a 277 turf Tomlinson Number, but he is bred for the Distance, if nothing else, the distance Won't beat him, and Joel Rosario rides Back, when you had to figure he had some Options elsewhere, he rode Maxwell Esquire To a win last time out here at Belmont Park So he had at least one other horse he could Have gone to, I see where you're going with That, I don't hate that play Personally, the, the lack of turf Breeding there is a little bit of a Turn off for me, but you're Certainly going to get a price, and I'm not going to try to talk you off of that horse, especially given the mindset and trying to beat a favorite that we both think is pretty vulnerable. Let's move on to the the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Unfortunately, you know, you look at this race, and it only drew five. Um, I think some of it has to do with the fact that there might have been a couple horses from the Pennsylvania Derby. Who knows? Maximum Security ended up getting scratched and hurt, and he didn't run in that race. But maybe a couple horses run from there, run here, and and then even at Churchill uh, this weekend, there are a couple graded stakes races where you could have maybe gotten two or three extra horses in this spot. Instead, we have a field of five that on paper is really a field of four, Andrew. But I will say this. Any of the four can win this race. I'm going to speak my piece on this for about 15 seconds. Go ahead. And we can get into more uh, in-depth analysis. It's time to downgrade this race. The Jockey Club Gold Cup is not a grade one event anymore. It hasn't been for a while. I understand that there's a lot of history with this race, but that didn't stop them from downgrading the Beldame this past year. And I feel like the Jockey Club Gold Cup deserves that sort of treatment because, Yeah. yeah, it just... Of late, it hasn't produced the kind of horses that go on to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. The last time it did was Fort Larned back in 2012. Since then, it's produced just one horse that has finished in the top two in any Breeders' Cup Classic since then, and it's probably not who you think. It was FNX back in 2015. So I really think that the Graded Stakes Committee needs to take a long, hard look at this race. At one point, it was the preeminent race for older horses Mm -hmm. in America. It's not anymore. This race was hurt as much as any by the advent of the Breeders' Cup. It's still a fun race to watch. You see horses go a mile and a quarter at Belmont with the funky setup in the turn. It's a cool race. And there's a really cool horse in here that I think is going to be tough to beat. That's number four, Preservationist. Nice. And I think if he repeats his win in the Suburban or his win in the Woodward, any of the other horses are running for second money. Preservationist has developed into a top-tier older horse. After being an okay allowance type most of his career, he probably had his issues at some point. Jimmy Jerkins has been incredibly patient with this one. And if Preservationist is fully cranked, I think it's his race to lose. I respect Tacitus. I respect Code of Honor. I respect Vino Rosso. But Preservationist, to me, seems like the horse to beat. And I don't think he's going to be favored. I think he might actually drift up a little bit from that 9-5 to morning line. And if he does, there is some value there. You're not going to get rich, but seeing a horse that I think should be six to five or seven to five at two to one or five to two, that's an overlay. 
Yeah, and if, and if this is a race where people might just buy it or go too deep, you know, with some of the contenders, and you're able to just say, you know what, let's just go preservationist here. That's where you get a little bit of separation also, some of the multi-race exotics. I'm completely in agreement with you, Andrew. And why I like preservationist is I think just like with his running style that, that he started to show as he, in his last few starts as he's gone a little bit longer, he's going to sit close. There's really not a lot of speed in here. He could be right on the front end, and then he could be very, very tough to pass. So I, I just I haven't been overly impressed, and I know you're kind of feeling the same way in general with the three-year-olds as a group. So for me, at Tacitus and Code of Honor, while I respect the both of them, and I think both of them could win this race, and I think Code of Honor of the two of them was very good last time out. Tacitus seems to have his issues every time. Of the four, and then Vino Rosso, you know, Vino Rosso had that that win in the Gold Cup, and I think you and I were texting and and kind of laughing and joking, like, is this the best horse, and this is the best older horse right now (laughs) going on, Vino Rosso? But I just, I'm not, I, I haven't really ever been a big Vino Rosso fan. And he's one that can jump up with a good performance, but he's just a little bit too inconsistent for me. I mean, let you know, I start eliminating, and I'm right back to preservationist. I just think he's in the best form right now. Um, you know, I think you could put a line through that Whitney race, as you can see in the comment lines too. He just he never he showed some speed, but he just didn't really look comfortable. He was a little washy, and and the race was just didn't show his best effort. And prior to that, I mean, he just doesn't run bad races. Period. He just shows up each and every time. He's a good good horse. I agree with you there. And going to the three-year-olds that you had mentioned, Tacitus is a horse that just seems to find trouble. And there are horses like that that come around every couple of years that pick up a lot of money that are probably a dream for someone to own as far as, okay, we know this horse is going to fire. We know this horse is going to pick up a check. We know he's going to pay the bills. That's great. Those horses are often underlays at the windows. And for me, from my standpoint, horses that find trouble and draw the rail are toss outs mm-hmm. because there is so much that can go wrong, especially given the funky setup at Belmont where they're breaking on the turn. If Cassidus misses the break and other horses come in, it's a, it's a they're off you lose situation. So for me, Tacitus will likely take some wise guy money because there are going to be players out there who say, eh, I don't like code of honor and eh, I don't like preservationist. Let me see if I can find some value. Oh, look, Tacitus, if this horse finally gets a clean trip, this horse may very well run well. And I think he's going to drift down a little bit from that five to two morning line code of honor. Meanwhile, yes, he won the Travers. Yes, he won the Dwyer before that. Who did he beat? I understand that the Travers is the midsummer derby. I understand that it's one of the flagship races for three-year-olds right now. This three-year-old crop is slow. Let's stop pulling punches. Let's call it what it is. They're slow. I was not as impressed with that as others were. It was good. It wasn't great. Sure. And he's still got some room to go if he's going to catch preservationist's best race. Code of Honor may very well be favored, and he's been somebody that a lot of people have been rallying behind saying, oh, maybe this is the horse that's going to come up, go on a run late in the year, and potentially make a run at some Eclipse Awards. He's won one grade one race. He's got some room left to go. And for me, he's likely going to be an underlay. If he wins, I'll tip my cap. Shug McGahee is one of the good guys in racing. He's been around forever. He's obviously trained a share of champions and knows what he's doing. But for me, the money here is in preservationist. Yep. I'm, I, there will be other two-to-one shots like for the, the, the Taxidus that I will like a, a little bit more. And, and Code of Honor at eight to five in a small field. I, I'm a little concerned with his running style also in a small field like this. Like maybe he just gets caught a little bit too far behind. There might not be very much pace signed on in here. And, I, and when we're we're... 
you know, finding some knocks on everyone, it leads to a, we're a six-year-old horse who's in really nice form right now, who likes Belmont and who probably has a tactical advantage. So, and we're going to end up with uh, with Jerkins and Centennial Farms and Preservationist. I think we're in an okay spot. And so, for me, like if I'm, I'm not going to play a lot. I don't. I think at Belmont just betting this weekend, it's probably going to be more of a watch type weekend, unless I find an overlay or maybe I'll play some something small late where. We'll do what we said where maybe we can use a couple in the pilgrim, maybe we single preservationist, we single midnight bisu, and maybe that's the way we approach the late exotics. Well, if you're looking for value at Belmont, there actually is a horse on the undercard that I really like. Sure. If you want to go Let's hear it. On that a Let's hear bit. it. Yeah, give it to so, us. Race number six, which is scheduled to go off at about 3.40 p.m. Eastern time, so 12.40 for those of you on the West Coast like we are. It's a maiden special weight event for two-year-olds. I looked at this race, and there's a lot of different directions you can go. There's a field of 10, a lot of first-time starters in this race. In fact, only one of these horses has ever run before, so there's a lot of different directions you can go. I really like number eight, Modernist, who is trained by Bill Mott. Modernist pedigree on paper Looks okay. He's by Uncle Mo and out of a Bernardini mare. However, if you dig a little bit on the bottom side, you see a lot of things to like. Modernist Second Dam is a horse by the name of Sweet Life, who was a runner in her own right, but her legacy is as a brood mare. She's thrown the likes of Life is Sweet and Sweet Catamine, mm-hmm. both grade one winners. She's also thrown a stakes winner by the name of Calamanco, and she's also thrown a horse named Symbolic Gesture, who is Modernist Dam. Modernist has a number of strong works in the mornings for Bill Mott, who doesn't necessarily send horses out to work quickly. The one that jumps off the page to me is a five furlong gate drill over the training track at Belmont, where he went a minute and two fastest of 26 works at that distance that day. Modernist is 10 to one in the morning line. That's a really big price on a horse that I think might be ready to fire. And if that horse wins, regardless of anything else, it could be a really good day for me. That is Modernist, the number eight in race number six at Belmont Park from Andrew Champagne. Andrew, I'm going to let you go in just a second. I asked you earlier, have you been paying attention to the football? Do you have a game that you want to play this weekend? Anything that you like? Unfortunately, I haven't gotten a chance to look this Don't weekend, and that's probably a good thing yeah, because I, say, I would have it. I would have loved the Packers last night, and that <laughs> didn't end well. Good. So it's probably you, a case you want where I'm like I'm like Jay Trotter. I didn't lose. Ex- I, I should have lost, Ex- but I didn't lose. That's found money, man. It's the same thing. <laughs> so let everyone uh, know out there where can we find you again, and uh, and what do you got coming up working wise. Sure. Uh, I have my own website, andrewchampagne.com, as well as Twitter account at Andrew Champagne. If you're into more little bite-sized chunks of me as you're scrolling into your feed, I also do a lot of writing for not just the pink sheet during Saratoga season, obviously, but for both Odds Checker and Horse Racing Nation. So you can check that stuff out. And I'll also likely have something else coming up in the next couple of weeks, hoping uh, that I can get something together that I think a lot of people are going to like. That's called foreshadowing, kids. And, you know, trust me, I'll be I'll make sure you're one of the first to know a little bit of a tease. And we're uh, looking forward to that. And I hope uh, we'll we'll try to put you down. Maybe we can we can link back up and maybe um, I'm thinking I'm going to have three or four people and, and cover a couple races with each person. So maybe you and I can talk, make a race or two come Breeders' Cup in, uh, in three or four weeks. Whatever you need, man. Just let me know. A big thank you to Andrew Champagne for talking a little Belmont with us as. We mentioned, unfortunately, just not a great, great betting card, but there are a couple opportunities. So maybe you you play a small punched late ticket or maybe your approach 
is just going to sit back and watch and, and see how these horses perform because you're going to play the Breeders' Cup in a few weeks. Andrew Champagne, check out andrewchampagne.com. Also, check out cindycarava.com, one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. If you know the name, it sounds familiar. Cindy is the wife of horse racing trainer Jack Carava, who's been a mainstay here in Southern California for the last 30 years. Cindy is a full-service realtor. She's all the San Gabriel Valley and in North San Diego County, and she can help you with anything you need in real estate, buying, leasing, uh, selling. She can help you find vendors if you need, if you are looking to improve your home at all, if you need help with a home loan and pre-approval. She can also connect you with people that can help you with that. If you maybe just want to find out how much your home is worth, send her an email, cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Help support one of the people who supports That's What G Said the most. Churchill Downs. I just saw that there is a $74,000 carryover in the pick five at Churchill Downs that begins with race number seven, which is the ACAC. And so if you weren't thinking about Churchill Downs Or maybe you weren't even looking at the races Maybe now you will Because it's always nice when there's an, a pick 5 carryover In that late pick 5 starting race number 7 on Saturday So the ACAC I do think Thirst for Life is the one to beat I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Thirst for Life He made me some money earlier this year He... Likes this trip, this and he likes Churchill Downs. Like this is where he's going to be at his best. He's obviously coming off a race where he stumbled and he lost the rider. So this isn't a race where I would like single in on Thirst for Life, but I think he's in the mix. You're gonna go with one of the Misters. We got Mister Darcy, Mister Jägermeister, and Mister Freeze all right next to each other. Timeline's gonna take some money, but from a long shot perspective, to throw in the mix. Take a look at Unmatchable Lightly raced, plenty of upside Winner over this track back in November That was going a mile Was on the bench from November to July Came back in July, probably needed the race And it was sprinting and didn't really get going And then stretched back out to a mile And was an impressive winner I think this is a really good spot for Unmatchable With no monsters in here to deal with This doesn't really feel like that much Like a graded stakes race on paper, it feels more like a listed stakes or a small stakes, and I think unmatchable with some low figs doesn't really have any gaudy, you know, numbers. Take a look at the nine. The eighth race is the Jefferson Cup. I'm a little concerned that the one might get bet down and might take a little too much money, but I do like Scars are cool quite a bit. The dam was a four-time winner on the grass, was a multiple stakes winner going long on the grass. And I actually actually thought that he had a little bit of a shot As a, a long shot underneath in the Travers And then he just got outrun And he was overmatched there Easy to excuse that race And now he tries the grass Should be able to save all the ground from the inside We know distance is no issue for a horse Who crushed at a mile and an eighth on the main I think Scars are cool Sits the trip in here And I would absolutely key in on him In race number eight The... Six track Smith will likely take a lot of money too. I think deservedly so off the uh, the decent effort at Colonial. But for us, it's going to be scars are cool from the inside. Anything around three to one or over seems fair on scars are cool. And the ninth race is the Lucas Classic. 
grade three, mile and an eighth. I like Silver Dust in here. I I played against Silver Dust a lot, but but he's just super honest and he's really really versatile. You, he's going to give you just a good run for your money each and every time, and I think. It's going to be a great spot for him just to fall right into it again He won that Mountaineer and he beat Some of today's rivals You see he's had uh, Kukulkin and Pioneer Spirit, he's been right on the wire With them in the last couple Proven at Churchill Downs And he's showed That he can He can sit a little closer when need be But if they go a little fast, he can come from off the pace I think he's best when he's sitting Like third or fourth and I'm hoping from the outside in a nice spot in the clear that is Silver Dust, the number nine, who will make the play in the ninth race at Churchill Down. So, a couple graded stakes races, some horses that we'll be looking to uh, to make a prep, possibly for Breeders' Cup at Churchill, and then over at Santa Anita. Let's get your Santa Anita past performances out. And you know, I don't really love uh, I don't really love the the card at Santa Anita. As far as finding anyone to maybe sink our teeth into from a betting perspective, the seventh race is the John Henry. And I mean, United's probably going to be tough in there, lightly raced. He had to miss a, a start, he had a, a physical issue. And so he would, he had to miss the Del Mar handicap down at Del, uh, Del Mar. I just, I don't love the, anybody in the John Henry. I don't really. Think there's a chance to beat Mackenzie in the awesome again But I guess the one horse that I will give you In the ninth race at Santa Anita On Saturday the 28th It's the Rodeo Drive The one mirth It just doesn't look like there's any speed in this race right? On, on paper who's getting the lead Mirth should have A couple lengths on this field And I think it's going to be at, Take him as far as he can and take him as far as she can. I like the fact that Mike Smith jumps aboard, and I think instead of you know trying to sit a little bit, it's just let's just send this filly from the inside and let's just try to steal the race. Bo Recall is an excellent form; she is no doubt the one to beat in here. But if you're talking from a betting perspective, the race perhaps could be stolen by Mirth. We close things out at Santa Anita with the tenth race. And that's, to me, that just looks like McKinsey At a mile and an eighth, that's where McKinsey's so good He is going to be your likely favorite In the Breeders' Cup Classic As long as he shows up with a good performance here Higher Power is your Pacific Classic winner And he was he was really big In winning that race And Seeking the Soul is no Slouch Seeking the Soul is staying at Santa Anita Trying to get a nice prep for where the Breeders' Cup is If they go fast He can come and pick him up late. I just don't know if this is the like the type of race for seeking the soul. I think he's a little bit better in a big field where there's a little more speed. So McKenzie's is gonna be really, really tough in here. And then to close things out, it's the unzip me at Santa Anita. I'll mention a couple horses if you play some late exotics that I thought were uh were ones to throw in. The number eight, Lucky Perdo, is scratched. So make sure to include. Uh, the three don't sell in some of your exotics, and the five miss hot legs. Add in the blinks. I think should be really tough in here. 
That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in again. If you can, take a second real quick, head on over to YouTube, to iTunes, to SoundCloud, and subscribe to That's What G Said. If you're on iTunes and you can subscribe and just leave a nice little five-star rating and review, those are big helps. They help us out. Really, they it's like putting more money in my pocket. So anytime you can help us out with sharing the show, a retweet, a like, a post, Always very, very grateful for your support. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. And a couple things. If you're looking for college football plays, we have the college football plays on the earlier podcast in the week. That's going to be the schedule we're probably going to have worked out. It'll be most likely the earlier show in the week. We'll recap the weekend NFL games. We'll give you the college games. And then in the next show, we'll give you the NFL picks and we'll talk some horse racing for the weekend. Have a great one, everyone. Joey, my friend, close us out.